This podcast is brought to you by The Business Habitat, a 12-month development program for expert business leaders looking to escape the hamster wheel and grow their businesses to scale. So here's the question. In our expert professional services businesses, where the rules were written last century and the world keeps changing around us, how do we as experts who have spent years, sometimes decades, getting our technical skills to the ultimate level, the proportionally little time learning the ones required to grow our businesses based on our own terms, rewrite these rules for ourselves? I'm Sandine, and this podcast, Business Habitat, explores the answers to these questions. Hello, and everybody, and welcome to the Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host. I am super excited to have Philippe Fujic from Croatia today with us. Yes, you heard me right. Philippe is coming to us all the way from Europe. I am proud to say this is Philippe's our first European guest on the podcast. We've had others from other continents. So I'm super excited to have him here today. I'll tell you why we have Philip on our podcast very shortly. But what I want you to do before we start talking to Philip, I want you to think back to episode 58 when I talked about the pricing revolution, the value pricing revolution that we have to have and how frustrating it is that we've been discussing this since the early 90s and we're still doing a lot of hours for dollars mindset in 58, I was particularly talking about the accounting industry, but the more and more I work with a variety of experts, the more and more this becomes apparent that it's across the whole expert mindset. So this is something close to Philip's heart because he believes that experts should very much be pricing their value. And he's so passionate about it. He has actually built a business around it and is considered a expert in this field. I know for sure I've had a couple of dealings with him, plus he comes highly recommended from a very strong part of my network. So welcome, Philip. Hi. Hi, Sam. Uh, hello, everybody. Can you give us a little quick intro about yourself and particularly, you know, obviously about your business and how you came to have it? Okay, well, gladly. So I'm a business analyst by trade. I started with a, a small business of mine, but that's went away in, in the last big crash. And I was in IT for five years as a marketing manager. And now for the last four years, the only thing I do is I work with experts of many shapes and colors from lawyers to, to, to accountants, from developers to designers, coaches, and anybody who makes their trade on selling their expertise, their uh, expert knowledge, I have worked with. And basically I help people get their price up 15 to 50% within two months. That's my deal. Can you give us those numbers again? Yeah. Uh, so I help people raise their average fee, their fees, basically, 15 to 50% in general. I have done more. I have never done less within two months. Well, that is a um, definitely music or numbers, shall we say, to my ears. And <laughs> I certainly am going to do a strategy session. So watch out, everybody. Philip as well. I think this is super important because I think, you know, one of the biggest things that we struggle with, no matter what type of expert that we are, is the fact that we have been trained with the hours for dollar mindset and, you know, how that, that actually works and how that actually affects us. And then I suppose 
The other thing that comes about, which we've recently discussed, which is the expert paradox. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and how it probably contributes to a little bit of our pricing issues? Oh, yes. Uh, I think that that's one of the main things. Now, expert work is not interchangeable and therefore it cannot be charged like interchangeable goods or services, like commodities. And we all have instincts to do that. And especially our clients have instincts to do that. And of course they do, because yep. when you're an expert, you're all, almost never sought after by people who actually know what you're doing. So an accountant can know the full value of somebody else's accountancy advice, but a non-accountant will usually be completely blind to it, yeah. right? And typically, accountants will work for non-accountants. Lawyers will work for no uh, non-lawyers. Experts, in general, as uh, have as clients people who have no idea what they actually need. They know what they want. They know the result that they want to see. Yes. But what needs to be done, that's usually completely beyond them. And unfortunately, that means that the complete value is a mystery to most of our clients. So that's the paradox right? People who need you don't value you. People who value you don't need you. And and that is... By design, by, by, default, by default, you can yep. still make that happen, right? But by default, it's a paradox. Fantastic. And I suppose, you know, how do we actually start looking at that? I mean, one of the things for me with the paradox is that we have to start, you know, educating our market a little bit better. And we could talk a long time about that. And that's a skill set that needs to be learned. But I suppose the one thing that we do need to do is really start looking at, I suppose, and the one thing that you heard from the episode 58 is actually the difference between billing and pricing. And then also, if you could explain the fact that we might actually value bill, this is an oxymoron, rather than value price. So I'm going to refer to the episode 58, which I enjoyed yes. just a little bit. So the, the three main points for me were, so there hasn't been a value pricing evolution because I'm referring to, to what you said in 58. It takes time, effort, and thought, and also skill, as you mentioned later. Second thing is we have been able to get away with not changing our ways, right? And the third thing was you have to be able to sell it, right? Connect back the value. Talk about the value, communicate the value. That's, that's the issue that I was talking about a minute ago, right? So th that was said then. I think it's important to say that billing and pricing sound like the same thing, but they're actually not necessarily the same, uh, necessarily the same thing. Okay, tell me more. Yeah, so billing is what we're used to. So it's, it's the after the fact, almost passive act, that puts the locus of the final cost out of the expert's control. So, dear client, you asked us to do X. And Y also happened, which we can all agree complicated things. So, as per agreed hourly rates, the price can only be Z, right? It's not me saying that it's the price. It's just how it turns out, right? Nobody can say, how can you tell me that's $2,000? I'm not telling you that. We set a rate. You said what we wanted, uh, what we, we need to do. That's the result, right? It's, it's just math. So that's billing. That's not pricing. Pricing is an active process 
where the, the expert is the one, let's say, meeting judgment in form of, of price. Oh, so you want to do this. Well, that's going to cost you that much. I say it is. So the price is, in each of the cases, inherently subjective instead of objective as with billing. The value is always subjective anyway, but we try to describe it in an objective way and then everybody loses. And this is the problem that people have been facing for so long. It's in nobody's interest to do that, but we still do it. And I'll talk about a little bit uh, why. So people are used to billing, not pricing. And then when they try to think about switching to value pricing, they actually try to do value billing, not pricing, instead. So the, the difference is, this is actually, as you said, an oxymoron, because there's no such thing as objective value. We can know that there is as experts, but the client doesn't see that and the client will only pay for the part that they can see. So only the consensual part of value is something that the client will, will be able to pay. You will always see more value that the client will not. If they could see that, they would have to be an expert just like you and they wouldn't need you. So you get stuck trying to objectively, like with billing, express a subjective amount which is of course extremely hard or even more truthfully probably impossible and as a side note if you have a client that is just saying yeah, yeah bill me whatever you're probably underpaid oh talk to me more about that <laughs> when we work with experts and we talk about this was that they always have this you know oh, i've always 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 got this client or a few clients that we have such a great relationship that they just they that they don't balk at the bills they don't, and I'm going to call them bills from now on. You know, that was really, I've never thought of the billing versus pricing like that because you think a price is what you give them. But of course, because most of ours is done after the fact, it's a billing. So they bill them really what they want or whatever's on the whip or whatever it is without any agreement. So what you're saying is they're probably being underpriced as well. Tell me more about that. Yeah, uh, if, if they have if they have such, such a relationship, usually yes. I mean, I had a client who uh, who's Canadian, but her most of her target audience are Americans. So I asked, why do you price in Canadian dollars? She's she was like, that that that's my currency. I said okay, but let's try to, to uh, leave the numbers as they are. Just switch, and that's like a twenty four uh, percent difference. And none of her clients noticed. For a month. So, so, so she was in shock. She said, nobody contacted me about it. They just paid and said, that's how you know that you're actually undervalued, underpaid. Because if I'm prepared to give you 500 and you ask me for 200 and then you ask me for 240, I don't care. I don't, right? So there are a few ways that you can tell that you're uh, underpricing and them not caring about your bill is one of them. If you if you're getting close to the value that they're getting from you, they would notice, right? So that's one of the the ways that you can uh, know. Also, when you say when you say a price, and the the client immediately says sure, <laughs> that's how you know you can have charged. Yes, I had that experience <laughs> today. <laughs> there there are other ways, right? If nobody says no, if nobody ever yeah. says no, you're you're too pricey. You're probably too cheap because about 20% in each market are price buyers who don't care about anything but the price. So if you're cheap enough 
to satisfy price buyers, most people would actually pay you more. So if at least 20% of your audience doesn't say, no, you're too pricey, you're probably too cheap for your own target audience. That's how it works. Ooh, okay. I'll, yeah, I want to repeat that. I think that's something we should hook into a little bit is that um, 25% of people are on price. So if you're not getting resistance to buy at least 20%. So, you know, one of the things that we work with with firms is and this probably happens more, um, I must say, with accountants than any others, particularly tax accountants who do, you know, work in an area that of compliance that has to be done. So there is a bit of a grudge purchase going on at times. If they get one person saying that's too much, but what you're saying is they should have at least one in five Absolutely. saying that. Otherwise, they know that their pricing's too low. So that means pretty much everybody who's an accountant out there that you're all underpricing. <laughs> Because I can tell you that most people don't have that kind of stat going on. So that's a really good way to reframe it too, because quite often the people who do complain about price sometimes are the lowest profitability clients as well. So it's kind of like you really need to aim for it now. Yes. Nobody nobody likes dealing with, with price buyers. Yes. They are the, the most pain in the neck, right? Yeah. So skipping those... It will actually bump up your joy in, in providing the service and you will be more available to the other people and you will be able to upsell and you will be able to grow much more. So I don't think it's a shame of that some people find you too pricey. If you're up to 30, 40, yeah, maybe think about lowering or chunking it up in different ways. But if no, nobody says you're too pricey, you're definitely too cheap. That's it's one, one of the main reasons. And people often ask me, if you don't mind, if I raise my price, right, how will that not make me uh, uncompetitive? Yes, that's a big one. Yeah, mm. uncompetitive. So, no, for two main reasons. One of them is uh, expert pricing, which is my area. I have done more than 100 of, uh, cases in the last four years. It's inherently unelastic as prices go. So that means it doesn't react as much as you would normally think it would. Because normal uh, price elasticity is, you know, I have 100 clients and a price of 100. If I give a 20% increase in price, I will lose about 20% of clients. That's how people think. Nothing works like that. So yes, price of crude oil works like that. Bushels of wheat work like that. In services, nothing works like that. So... Our services are inelastic, which means if you give a discount, like 15%, you won't get 15% more people. You will get less because it doesn't react. But also, if you raise your price 15%, you will not lose 15% of people. You'll pro probably lose nobody or lose one. It reacts less than you would expect, right? So that's the first reason. And the second reason is when we are, let's say, sellers, right? Purveyors, experts. We think about the price differently than when we are buyers. And you can think about yourself when you're buying stuff, especially we're talking about services here. So the monetary price is not the full cost, let's say, the, not the full price, uh, not to get semantic here, th that, that people consider. So you're in a hurry and you need a cab, right? Do you, I mean, if you're not in a hurry, you won't take a cab. So you will only think about that if you're in a hurry. If you're in a hurry, do you take the 
sometimes on time, sometimes late cab company, or a 20% more costly, always on time cab company. It's, it's not even funny, right? You won't even consider the cheaper guy because it's more expensive to be late, maybe, <laughs> right? Okay, so that's, that's the uh, convenience cost. Then you have the risk cost, which is would you send your kid to the cheapest dentist that you know? You would not. <laughs> Probably not. Because there's a huge risk in that very status. The cheapest dentist. Jeebus. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that sounds expensive. But he's cheap. No, no, he's not. His monetary price is low. But the risk is too high, especially for a kid. And the, the So can I just yeah. butt in for, before you get to the next one? Yeah. Can everybody out there please remember that one? So if you... I know a lot of my clients say people are saying that they want to go to the cheapest accountant. There is just as much costly risk with a cheap accountant as it is with a cheap dentist. So maybe use that metaphor that Philip so kindly just gave you because I know that that's a big block. Okay, and the third one? The third one is uh, uh, what, what I call ego cost. Yeah. And I will give you an example that is fairly simple. So let's say you go out on, uh, on a fancy dinner date with your spouse mm -hmm. and uh, you get a message uh, that says, I will pay for your dinner, what, take whatever you like, it's free. But at some point at dinner, I will come to your table and humiliate you in front of everybody and you won't, and you can't respond. Yep. Deal? Is that no. in your mind a cheap <laughs> dinner? So cost is zero. No, yep. no, it's not. No, it's no, not. It's not. No. So I'll pay for um, my dinner. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So it's it's it's. I will gladly pay with my money. Yeah. Right. That, that's way cheaper. Even if it's it's an expensive expensive restaurant. So all of these four things. So monetary, the convenience, risk, and ego, form what we see as price when we're clients what our clients see about us, right? So you don't have to have the lowest monetary part of the price. You just have to have the perception of the best deal among all of these. All four of them. Okay. Yeah, That's combined. a really good point. Yes. So if you have a lower uh, uh, risk cost and everything else being the same, you can have a higher monetary cost and still seem like a better deal. Yeah. Uh, the, the dentist doesn't have to be expensive. Maybe he's just in a really bad part of town or very far away. So that then the convenience cost is is, is, is way less. So two accountants cost the same, but for one of them, if I want to see them, I won't have to travel for, I don't know, six hours. That, that's not the same price, right? Okay, you can do many things over the internet, but sometimes, and for some... We're not not talking just about accountants here. We're talking about many different kinds of, of, of experts, right? So if, if it's a therapist, you don't want someone who you have to travel half day to, 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 to see, that. right? Well, that's, um, that's such, I think, three really interesting points that you've given us there. First of all, the expert paradox and explain that well. Then shifting our mind from billing to actual pricing. And then lastly, you know, the components of actually waking make up a price. I think we, particularly as experts, focus too much on the monetary and not enough time on all four. And, you know, for, for myself personally, um, price doesn't 
come into it a lot. Like for me, as I get a bit older too, it's the enjoyment that I get out of the relationships that I build with my clients and also my suppliers and the service. Like I will go to a coffee shop that perhaps I'm a bit of a coffee addict, but even if their coffee's not, so that's be 80% good, but their service and the relationship I have with them is stronger and I'll pay and I'll pay a premium for the price. There's so much more that you get out of experts and the relationship aspect, obviously, which is one of them too. So such interesting stuff. Thank you very much. So we've covered off quite a bit. I just want to, as we are talking to experts, who's really helped you on your journey and and what have you learned from them? Well, the last, well, the, the Corona year, I expanded my views significantly. I used to mostly do clients in Croatia. Now I work with clients from nine countries and counting. So in that path, I had uh, a few fellow experts on their own journeys teach me things that I really needed to know. So if if you want names, I'll give you names. But uh, uh, that's okay. So what I understand there is you've looked outside. Corona actually made you shift there, but then you looked for people who could help you with that shift as well, or who were also on the journey with you. Corona made me shift, but also enabled me to shift. Mm -hmm. Because uh, usually in in the long, long before (laughs) the time before Corona, if I wanted to have a serious uh, relationship as a consultant with somebody, I had to hop on a plane and come there. Right? And right now it's... You just re- stay wherever the hell you are. I can hear you from here. <laughs> I think if there's one thing we've taken away as experts, I think that is actually open up our businesses to whatever. Yes. And I so think that's a renaissance. A- I really see it. Yes. I really, really see it as a renaissance for experts. I think many things completely changed. And you asked me what I learned. Uh, the main thing, my, my core belief is that wherever you look i have worked with about 30 different industries in nine different countries wherever you look expert work is not interchangeable you can't just switch one person for another it's not the same in all services i have nothing against cashiers or or waiters but you can basically swap them out there are differences but there are differences like there are differences from a, a human to human in height Small people and short people, but nobody is 50 times the, the average. And now do the same by income. Now you have differences which are thousands or, or tens of thousands in multiples. So if you take good waiters and bad waiters and line them up, you will get up to 50% uh, up or down, right? Now do that, that the same with surgeons or with coders or with designers or with accountants or with any kind of expert, you get a way different uh, expansion in value that they can provide. So they're not the same thing. We cannot, we should not be priced as cashiers, just a little bit more uh, expensive. Um, This is not a role. And doing that is basically damaging the whole relationship, the expert and the client as well. That's that's a great tip. <laughs> like if yeah. you have to learn one thing from that podcast, I think that's, you know, we talk about too, I think we do a lot of work with experts about understanding their own value, like internally as, you know, from a 
internal point of view too, but to put yourself in that. And I think too, just exploring that a little bit more is that, and this is what I found too, is that because we're not interchangeable, you've got to actually like and work. You will work better with somebody that you really connect with who has similar experience or whatever. But if you can really connect with them and build a greater relationship, you're going to listen to them more as an expert and stuff. And I think that experts sometimes drop that in their value equations as well. And of course, I know that I work with a lot of women too, obviously, and we certainly do that as well. But so to to really get clear that you're not interchangeable, that every expert comes with certain experience and background that's unique to them, but there's also a big, much more, I'd never really looked at that continuum, at that that big difference in value from experts to non-experts style of businesses. And I think we need to, as experts, we really need to take that to heart. Yeah, there you go. So I always like to end up with three quick tips or tricks that you would like to leave our listeners with at the end. Okay. So the first one I, I already said, but I think it's very useful uh, to see if you are, are underpriced, see if how many people say no. And if at least about 20% don't say no, then you, you probably are. So the second thing is, if somebody says, but I already have uh, you know, a better proposal, I have somebody who, who is cheaper than you. People usually say, well, you, you just say, yeah, you go with them then. I would add something to this. I would say, sure, but also you should worry them a little, not unduly, but remember, you're talking to people who don't know the first thing about what you do. So you just warn them about the pitfall or two, which is completely obvious to you. And you say, okay, don't worry about it, but just make sure that what they're offering is equivalent to mine. Because sometimes people will offer this, but not account for this or this, or warn you about this very banal uh, risk that may happen. And now two things are possible. If they did talk to somebody cheaper and they didn't say that to them, either they don't know or they know, but they didn't tell the potential client. Either way, you win, right? <laughs> so that's a very general one and, and, and I lo- like talking about it. And the third one is obviously um, don't be afraid of the yeah. fact that value is that one. Uh, but also, and to round this all, uh, this whole thing up, not everything should be value priced. I'm all for value pricing, but some things are fine the way they are and you're not failing anything by keeping some of some of the clients like that because that's how they like to work they're too big they have purchasing departments which want to uh, compare people apples to apples which shouldn't be done but it's done all day every day but you should keep an eye out for opportunities to try out value pricing which is when when there's a project which which has an end which is high risk for people yes because what they what they are buying from you is actually borrowed confidence. That's what we buy from, from experts. Yes. Right? We don't need experts if we're confident that, that we're going to do things right. We are sometimes very wrong about that. And then we need experts to mop up the mess. But people seek out experts 
when they lack confidence. So what they're buying from us are confidence. And if you have the lowest price, what is that speaking about your confidence? Oh, good point. You, I love that. You, and that, that sort of rephrase or rethink on you are buying borrowed confidence. So if you're low, that means your confidence is low. Exactly. Well, I think that's a great point to um, leave on. So Philip, what's the best way for people to find out more information and, you know, have a look at what you do and then get in contact with you? So the best way to get in contact with me is over LinkedIn. I publish stuff there. And from there, you can find links to my YouTube channel, my newsletter, and most importantly, each week, I hold a half an hour free Q&A, which is one week in the, the uh, Australia and, and Europe time zone friendly time. And then uh, one week, it's North American time zone. And each week that public Q&A is recorded and put on my YouTube channel so you can see back episodes and all of them are indexed in a way that you can just scroll and, and see the, the particular question that you actually want to know about. So that's, I think, the best way. Fantastic. That sounds like a, a great idea. And I would encourage anyone to pop on and have a look. And if you've got any burning questions, actually pop on the live one. Exactly. I have I have a hashtag ask Philip and I'm actually collecting pricing questions from experts. So they're always welcome. Even if you don't have the time to actually come to the Q&A, send me a question. I will probably use it the, the same week answer it, and then you can pick it up on YouTube when you like. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me, Sam. It was an honor to, to be here and to speak to all of your uh, wonderful experts that you got here. And I'm glad if this was useful. Okay. And for all those Australians out there, it's hash A-S-K, it's F-I-L-I-P. So, um, you know, make sure that you get that right. But anyhow, the links will be in the podcast notes. Please, everybody hop on. It's super valuable. It's something that all of our experts really need to work on. And as always, everybody, thank you for your time. We really appreciate you listening to us. And as always, be brave and continue the conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. We work super hard on bridging the gap between our expertise and our CEO skills to create more money and time in your everyday to create change. If this sounds like something that you would like to have a further conversation with, jump on blueprinthq.com.au and book a free consultation so we can continue the conversation. As always, be brave.